Many nights you go to bed questioning all of your being. Maybe this was life showing me, you know, that there's something that's mine. I didn't make it happen, it found me. This week's episode takes us into a very different domain. Tricky van Rijk is an artist, and a self-taught one at that. So, not your typical entrepreneur. But what makes a typical tech startup founder different from our guest this week? Dricky started painting in response to a traumatic life event. She didn't do it because she wanted to make a living out of it, but the hobby turned into something more serious until she got to a point of having to reconcile the art and the creative with commerciality. This comes at a high price though. How do you keep going when you constantly question yourself? How do you deal with your inner critic that is constantly telling you that you're not good enough, all while you are reluctantly turning your calling into a business? Dricky describes how she hit rock bottom after being forced to take the decision to terminate the pregnancy of her first child, and how she pulled herself out of that brokenness, a place of no control and no energy. Radical self-inquiry, gratitude, living in the moment and just showing up other tools that help Dricky get to where she is now, and also how to navigate the challenges that COVID brought along. We were lucky to be invited to eavesdrop into the conversation between her inner critic monster and the best friend whispering into her ear. Please meet Dricky. This is Naked by the Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. Brought to you by Vladimir Kobrystinska and Nectarios Lolios. And remember to subscribe, follow, and rate Naked to help us share it with the world. Well, Driki, it's a great pleasure to have you today with us on the Naked. Hi there. Hello. Oh, hi, Nectari. Hi. It's such a big pleasure for me to be with you guys today. No, pleasure on our side. Um, Dricky, would it make sense if you introduced to our listeners yourself, just really in one, two sentences, and then we deep dive into your story? Okay, so I'm Dricky van Wijk. So I'm a self-taught Cape Town artist. Um, so I'm residing in Cape Town, and um, that's what I'm doing. I'm, doing, I'm a portrait um, artist. Amazing. So for a living, yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, I would read out this, this small paragraph that you sent to us because I think it beautifully opens the whole theme and why yeah. we have you today. Um, yeah. So basically it goes like, you said, I believe there is a gap when it comes to business and the unique stress of specifically artists flowing from the soul emotionally and then attend to normal business duties on your own as well. Yeah. I think that's powerful. Yeah. So one thing that, you know, um, guys who are listening, one thing that we were in Future Farm, we were very much interested to explore and unpack is this tension around creativity and the need of, you know, selling your art, selling the outcome of your work. And basically yeah. also having artists being seen as entrepreneurs, which is not really what we usually do, right? We see artists as yeah. artists. Um, so Dricky, can you unpack that a little bit for us? And because that's something that you've been talking about yourself. Yeah. So basically I would like to start off, um, by telling you, um, you know, how I landed up in this, uh, cause that will give you 
a great idea of why I said in that message what I said. So um, my parents didn't have the funds to send me off after school to go study. Mm. So my plan was to go after work, uh, after school, just go and get a work and be able to pay, uh, pay for my own studies. So I started in the corporate world and then I worked and I paid for my own studies and I studied interior design. So after I study, um, finished my studies in interior design, I started working as an interior designer. But what I ended up doing was I started drawing plans and then other people would go out and do the physical work. So I never saw my own work um, for myself. It was only on plans. So I was hating what I was doing at the moment and because um, I liked the satisfaction of being able to create something and then to see it for yourself and the whole process of that. So um, it was only later on in my life that I really um, discovered my purpose and that happened through, um, well, I had my first child and then three years after that I fell pregnant with our son, Stella. And at six months pregnant, um, we had to, what do you call it, terminate the mm. pregnancy because of medical reasons. Mm. So we lost our boy. Mm. And in that time of um, grieving, not only the loss of our baby and this baby that we had dreams and, uh, um, you know, all these things for, you know, seeing a life with a, with a second child and all of that, it wasn't only the grieving of the loss of that baby, but also with the choice that was put in our hands. So um, I had, I think in my whole, if I look back on my life, I know that there's been angels, you know, like sending on my path. Because um, we have this one friend, she's in Australia. And in that time, she said to me, Ricky, knowing that I'm a creative, have been a creative all my life, she asked me, she said, is there anything that you ever wanted to do that you just never got to do um, for some odd reason? That you would like to do now because I would like to give you some something where you can just lose yourself in and while you're grieving all of this that happened. So the one thing that I always wanted to do was to make this one big painting for our house um, but I just never did it you know because like painting as a hobby is very expensive you know and for me it was always about fear you know what if I paint it and I just mess it up and then I paid all that money for the oil paints and the canvas and all of that. And it, so it's just one of those things that you always just put aside for something else, you know. Mm. And then when she asked me, I said that was the thing. So she basically bought me my first um, basic colors, oil paint colors. And I think it was a 1.2 by 1 meter canvas. And I painted this big Afro lady this face with this big afro and that is what I wanted to paint you know <laughs> and um, in that time you know I really just poured all the actually that there wasn't much left but I poured what I had into that painting and as I finished it um, my husband started showing this painting on his phone to people you know on a photo and then this one guy that he showed it to um, said to me, make your price, I want that painting. And I was like, no, what is this? I've never planned on selling anything. It didn't even cross my mind that I would sell it. The it was for me and for buyers. Yeah. Yes, it was completely different. It didn't even cross my mind. 
And I said to him, no, I will, I will paint another one. You know, like, can I paint a similar thing, but another one? And he said, no, I want you to make your prize. I want that one. Mm. And um, at first I said no, but then I had some time to think about it, you know. And there was a curiosity that I had, you know, of what this was and to experience it maybe once again. So in my mind, I was like, maybe I should sell it to have the funds to create another one. And maybe that's what it's supposed to be, you know, to see what, it, what the second one will be like. So the first one was like, okay, um, this is awesome that somebody would buy it. Then the second one was like, really, is this happening again? And then the third one was like, okay, wait a minute, there's something here. And that's when I realized that maybe this was life showing me, um, you know, that there's something that, that's mine, you know. Um, it's almost like, because a lot of people ask me, um, I've done an interview with somebody the other day and they said, you know, explain to us how you landed up in this art business. How did you make it happen? And my reply was, I didn't make it happen. It found me, mm. you know, and I think, I think there's a difference, you know, in trying to make something happen and letting, you know, life unfold and happen. So basically, um, that's how I landed up in it. So I have a little bit of corporate behind me to understand a little bit of that. But I know also now, knowing that I come from corporate, that being an artist is so different from just being in a corporate world, but they both need each other. Creative and business need each other. It's not the one or the other. It doesn't have to be two separate things. They go together. No, absolutely. And we'll unpack that, right? It's so interesting, yeah. Ricky, when you say corporate, like I have completely different view of, I don't, I don't think of an entrepreneur. I think of this, you know, <laughs> a giant corporate organization, but that's, yes. that's a sideline. Yes. Um, yeah. There is so much in there of what you yeah. shared with us. And thank you for being so open and also sharing a little bit of your experience around the grief and how art also became the healing mechanism for you. And I think we'll come back to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, I'll hand it to Nectarius because, I, well, we, we, I know you're a little tricky and I could go on and on, <laughs> but I'm curious about Nectarius' immediate views and reflections. And, yeah. and tricky just you know, whenever we have a female guest, the first 10, 15 minutes, I bloody yeah. show and I know when to step back because there's just no room for me. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, joking aside, it's, 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 um, I mean, for, for our listeners who, who know a little bit about the things we care about, you bring a, a different perspective and you actually talk about your artistic journey, but you mentioned at yeah. some point arts business. Um, yeah. do you remember the moment where you actually realized that this is, uh, the, the two things go hand in hand. Do you remember the moment you realized this is actually a business is not just the, um, finding your purpose and your artistic expression and what you were saying earlier about being the designer who designs, but never sees it being completed. So suddenly you see kind of the result of your work. Yeah. But at what point did you go, okay, this is what I will be making money from now. This is going to be my, my future revenue source and I need to sell myself. Is there a specific yeah. moment? Um, I, I won't say like there wasn't like one, like one day that I just woke up and had this realization. But I think as the journey unfold, unfolded over time, I think it became clear that Maybe at first it started as something in a grieving process, but then it changed into a hobby kind of thing where 
It was a fun thing to do every now and then, but it couldn't sustain itself um, long term. Um, and then that, I think that's when I realized that um, it has to be run like a business. And I think that's what distinguished um, artists today from somebody that's a hobby artist and then somebody that's um, running a business. Um, so what I did was, um, I think it was last, last year, yeah, in the beginning of last year, I did a business acumen for artists as well, which is also a business course. So I wanted to do that to just um, make that side of it stronger and to understand a few financial stuff as well. But I think the thing with, um, and I think that's a misconception that a lot of people have is that you paint something and then you you put it out there to be sold. Mm. And then when it sells, you do the next one. And it doesn't happen like that. It's like almost like you have to see it like it's a shop that you have and you can't have one item in your shop. So if you don't sell the one that you um, are painting now, you have to make provision to create to continue to create because that's what the art business is about that's how you 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 make it a business um you can't wait for one to sell and then when it sells then continue um you won't be taken serious as as well and also you get 10 people that, that look at one painting and one is interested in that specific painting and then you do another one and five once it, you know, so you just never know, but you have to continue to create and to be able to continue to create, you have to have the funds. You have to make provision to continue to create. Mm. And the fact that you continue to create is what makes it a business at the end of the day, because they can go, they can be months that you create and nothing sells. And then you get to one month where five sells, but yeah. you can't stop because one month it's bad. You can't wait for the next painting if you want to run it as a business. And for that reason, you have to have the know-how in how to make provision for that and how to make sure that you're fine to continue with what you're doing. So even really like my close friends group, there are a number of creatives and some of them are artists yeah. and, 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 you know, artists as designers and people who paint. And yeah. There seems to be this pattern that I've observed, which is, and you've been describing it a little bit, which is around the tension of now I need to sell. I need to sell my soul, my creativity. And, and it seems like that also has a major impact on what's happening in that one's person you know, in the world. So what has been happening for you or what is happening for a creative, for an artist that actually needs to realize that, yes, I mean, being an entrepreneur as an artist, it doesn't take away the not being noble, right? That, that, the nobility, or I don't know even if it's English word, but just basically, you know, creative side of art. So what's happening for one inside, inside of your head and soul? So basically, I think for an artist, and I think that's the thing that makes it different for me, you know, that for me that has been in corporate world and then being an artist now, now, um, the difference is that you carry the financial tension, you know, the stress of making it work, um, having your marketing uh, marketing strategies, um, you know, on point, making sure that happens, and then having to deal with the creative side. And if I can just um, maybe talk a little bit about that, is that it's a known thing that with artists and creative people, 
that we go through different phases in our creating process. Mm-hmm. So you get at a point where you have to start a new work. You're excited about this, this idea that you have. And then you have to, for me, I'm talking about me now um, as an example, but then you have to put it on a canvas. So you stand in front of canvas and I don't know, I'm still trying to figure out what this is. I know it's a well-known thing for creatives and artists and there hasn't been a lot of answers around it, but it's just a known thing that you stand in front of canvas and there's that blockage where you just can't start. Like, it's just like, you, you stand there and somehow it's, you're pro- procrastinating. And then the next thing, there comes an email through on your phone and you're so willing to go to the email or the message or whatever because that's part of the pro- procrastinating. And then when you finally get to putting it on canvas, there's another few um, things that happen where you start painting and then somewhere in the middle of it, you question everything that you've put on that canvas. I had times where I actually in that moment felt like I just want to rip the whole canvas and then just start from scratch. But then if you push through it, you will get to the other side of it where you start enjoying the process of it. And then the picture becomes clear and you love what you've put on there. But just a few hours maybe ago, it didn't look like anything. And you question yourself so much and then all of a sudden it's making sense. And then when it's finished, you crit- you, you're your own, you're your own critic. You know, mm-hmm. like you look at it and you question it again, you know, and then you have to take that and advertise and hope that somebody would like what you put on there. So it's such a, because the other day somebody actually asked me, what are you doing for a living? And I said, I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, so basically you're selling your emotions for money. And at first I was shocked, like, <laughs> but a good shock. And it's actually, if, I, if you have to put it in simple words, that is what it is. Wow, you sell your emotions mm-hmm. and now you have the stress of making a business work. But the moment that something doesn't sell, it goes directly to you. You don't have anybody to blame for it. You just have yourself to blame for it and ask questions um, about yourself. Like, why isn't it the selling? Like, it's the, it's the mood that I was in. It's the emotions that went through me. Is it not, was I in a good place? Should I, should I have done this while I was in this place, you know? So you question so much. And then you have to break through that to be able to continue with what you're doing and believing to continue. So you have to get yourself at a place again where you feel like you're okay. And that's the thing that I, I, I had to learn how to work with me. Yeah. So I so basically I think all of us have this critic voice. Um business person, not business person, everybody, we have that critic voice in our heads, and I call it the critic monster. Um that always wants to question when we do things, even when we say even when we're in conversations with people and uh having a, a, a um you know, a visit with somebody or sitting with somebody, you have a conversation, you do stuff. There's always that critic voice that asks, but was that the thing that you should have said? Should you have said, do you think that was a good thing to say? Do you think that was the way you were supposed to go about it? There's always that voice. Is it good enough? Then, mm. Is it good mm. enough? Is it mm. good enough? And then I think I got to a point where in my business, I I think I'm, I, say, I say I'm a, I'm a self taught artist but I think I had to 
um, dissect my emotions so many times because I wanted to understand me and how to work with me. And I think there was a moment where I realized that I want to trade that critic monster for a best friend. That is what I wanted to do. And I was like, how am I going to go about this? How am I going to teach myself to be that to me? And it was simple. And it sounds simple when I say it. But it's such a, it's such a big thing if you can understand it in your mind and realize what that means. Because for me, it was a thing of asking myself. So I've done this painting. I don't feel good about it, especially like with COVID. Let me just, just for a minute, just yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. I know that that's a very interesting angle you actually have there. Yeah. yeah. Um, with COVID, what happened in my business was that I was selling my art. But with COVID, all of a sudden, I started doing commissions. Like I had so many commissions that I didn't get time for my own paintings and my own ideas. And at first I was like, what is this? Like people don't go on holidays, holidays, so they can't plan their holidays. So they have maybe a little bit of extra money to put into their houses. And now they have the money to spend on art, but why are they not buying my art? Why do I have to do commissions for them of what they want? So it's obvious that they don't like my stuff. I mean, how you don't even have to think hard and long about it. I mean, it's obvious. It's in your face that... We don't want your stuff. We want what we want and the idea that we had in our mind. And then the best friend happened, the thing that I taught myself where the thing I, the way I go about it is that if I want to be my own best friend, what is it that I would tell my best friend going through what I'm going? And I had that conversation with myself. I was like, okay, so they, they don't like my stuff because now they have the money, but they want what they want. So I had to tell myself and ask myself, is it really the truth? Like, is there something else that you're not looking at? Look at COVID. What is, what is the thing that it taught us? I think if there's one thing is that we, we started valuing what was going on in our own worlds, our family, even our dogs, our animals. We, we had an intense focus on the people that we were locked into, you know, within yeah, our houses and the things that we do and we had to reflect, you know, and even if it was just for yourself, you had to reflect on your life. And then people came with that picture and that thing in their mind and they came to me asking me, can you paint this picture of my daughter? Can you please paint my dogs? And I realized my best friend, being my own best friend. What did the best friend said? (laughs) The best friend said, to drinking (laughs) she said you know what do you know that they actually trust you to put that forever picture that memory that's in their mind Mm. they trust you to do such a great job of it to put it on their walls as their memory their loved ones so it's actually a bigger trust than to just buy your stuff they have a trust in you do you even realize how big that is yeah. And I said, you know what, my friend, you're right. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you know, and I no, but it sounds to- right. You know that these your language, your your yeah. your original lens on looking into something so dear and precious for themselves, yes. right? So yes. I hear. and it's a skill I've learned, you know, and I'm still I still get myself every now and then where I have to sit and realize that I have to call my friend, you know. Because um, we want to go to that side. We want to sometimes listen to that crit- critic voice. It's so easy. It's not even difficult. It's so easy to listen to it. 
But that is the thing that I've taught myself, you know, mm. in this journey. Because I think journey as an artist is sometimes a very lonely road. I think uh, there's not a lot of people that speak on these things, you know. Um, and then also with the thing where you asked about the business and the creative side, many nights you go to bed questioning all of your being yeah. for this business yeah. that you're doing, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. me and my friend, we kind of good <laughs> some days. <laughs> So can I ask a question to 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 your best friend? Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Maybe, maybe, maybe a small yeah. intro to that. So when we yeah. talk to the traditional entrepreneurs that we usually deal with, yeah. so the people who build a business, yeah, and we, we want to talk about the difficulties in their journey, yeah. we spend a lot of time listening first to the business challenges until we get to the point where we talk about how they dealt with it emotionally. Yeah. Now, listening to you, there's this blend of three different voices. So there's the business person who's making sure that the money has to come in. There's Jackie, the person who's facing very natural human emotions that are completely kind of isolated from the other personas. And then there's the artist, yeah. right, who comes with its own challenges. Yeah. So when you talk about the best friend, is that one best friend who has a particular hat and says, okay, I'm going to talk to you as a business coach now. <laughs> or is this the best friend who says, you know what, as your closest friend who knows you personally, I'm making sure that you as an individual are safe. Or is yeah. this somebody else who goes, you know what, I'm taking this 360 degree view and I can totally give you counsel on all the things that you're going through without actually <laughs> breaking it down. And um, for me, I would say for me, it, um, because my emotional side, um, well, let me say me as tricky, and my art is so closely connected. Um, for me, it's one voice. But also I've learned to, you know, if you have a best friend, they don't always just speak the stuff that you want to hear. You know, they, they're there to tell you also, you know, like you. But, but I think the thing about it is that you can see stuff for what it is, but there's a gentleness. And I think that makes the difference. A best friend has your best interest at heart. You know, so um, that's the thing. I, I think for me, it's it's one, it's that one, it's one voice, it's one hat that's on, but it can speak in the different areas. And I allow, I allow myself to learn, but with the gentleness that I'm giving myself, I'm giving myself the space to grow in every area. And also, when critique comes my side from another person, which is not even myself, my best friend is there to say, listen. That person doesn't think your work is good enough, but is there something that they're saying that's maybe valuable that you can maybe just try and look at? Maybe there's a technique that you maybe need to change or maybe there's this, are you willing to look at that? Do you think it can enhance what you're doing? Do you think it's worth a try? So I think I've learned to really be open, um, you know, to be open to people and things around me, but just in a gentle way. Because I think if you in a place where you just use it as a a voice of critique. Um, Sometimes you find yourself so low that you can't pick yourself up again. And I don't want that for for myself anymore. That's actually the point where I realized that I need to call in my best friend. I don't want to be in those places where you go so low and you're actually not productive. You you can't do anything from that point. Um, I think I just became Mm. to be... Quite to just be open, I got sick and tired of being that person to myself. Um, I wanted gentleness and to grow and learn still because I, I, I'm very honest about where I am, you know, and 
knowing what I what I can do, but I know there's always space for growth. And luckily, I am that person that always wants to grow. I want to be better today than I want that I was yesterday. I'm that person. I will always change, and I I like change for that reason. Yeah. So I hope yeah. I hope it makes sense. <laughs> no, you know your uh, yes, not no. Yes, absolutely, you do. <laughs> Um, you know, your best friend sounds to me like a self-love, to be honest. That's yeah. how I take yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Self-love. Yeah. Um, also, when you were describing, you know, when you said um, that statement that somebody told you that you are selling out your emotions, uh, it yeah. was really powerful. Like, um, to me, it touched me yeah. as a point of vulnerability. Um, Absolutely. It was like that the moment that you guys need to really find your relationship with being vulnerable and what it means yeah. to really open up being raw. Um, I also see a lot of really um, kind of analogy and, and, and pattern with whether you are on the creative side or as Nectaris, you said, a little bit more traditional entrepreneurial journey. But I see that th- what you were, Dreeky, were describing was a lot of the kind of dips that um, people, regardless of, you know, what is the core of the profession or of the entrepreneurial journey is, are experiencing. Did you, like, did you find something, did you find similarity in, in this experience that you now have as Dreeky artist, entrepreneur, f- to your previous uh, professional journey where you were interior designer? I'm just curious, or is this, was this new for you? It feels completely different. Okay. Um, I, I, as I said, like in the beginning, I, I became more like a, it felt robotic, if I mm-hmm. can say it in that way. It's like a machine just producing, 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 but you never see the, and get the satisfaction of what you produce. And for me as an artist, um, I think I've changed so much as a person as well. Um, that's another thing that I can say. I'm definitely not the person that I was when I, did that and worked for a big office company um, doing the designs basically the whole time, the layouts. Um, yeah, it's completely different mm-hmm. to me in, in the sense that I also, I think there was this new, this new place where I, that where I needed to pour all myself, like pour myself into this thing that I was created where I felt like, when I was doing the interior design behind a computer screen, that wasn't really pouring myself into it. My process is never the same. I never start and finish the same, like the complete same. So I don't even have a formula that I can give to somebody. And people get, I can see that people sometimes get frustrated, you know, with me. And I think that's a good thing that I didn't study it. Because mm-hmm. um, I had no rules. I had, no, I had nothing. I just started from the bottom of my brokenness and it just flowed from there. And every time that I'm creating a new piece, it just starts different. And I think it has to do with where I am and what I'm feeling in that moment, you know? So it's so free um, for me. And also I think it will be different in, in the sense that I know that I, I'm, I, I do what I'm supposed to do now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, yeah. That's very much what I'm getting is that you find your, and I think, very much purple. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Can I ask a question yeah. on the moment of brokenness? Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you realize, how did you realize that you were as low as you've ever been? How did it manifest itself? And, and because you talked about a friend in Australia who sort of put you out of that funk, 
but it takes a while for us to actually, because we were very comfortable at readjusting to the lower and lower and lower. And at some point we look around us and it's all just muddy. So yeah. how, well, when was the moment where you thought, okay, something isn't right here. I need to do something about it. Yeah. Um, I think with the whole process of it not being, not losing just a baby, but having to make that, that decision that you just, it's just one of those things that you never think would happen to you. You know, it's one of those. Um, that, was a, that was also a mind thing to constantly challenge and remind yourself of why and the reasons why and what the doctor said and everything that happened. But I think the moment where I realized that it was my lowest of lowest is, you know, that we as humans, we like to have some sort of control, you know, of something. We like to be in control. But in that moment, I felt like if I could just give that, that decision that, was, that we needed to make to somebody else, even if they went through it, went for it or not, that it would be okay. Whatever they decided to do it, I just wanted to give the decision to somebody else. That's when I realized that there's nothing. That's just bottom, bottom, because I, I wasn't in control anymore. Um, and I think with my art also starting from that point, point, it was bottom line. There was no energy to even try and pretend to be in control or have it together or going through it strongly. There was no energy to pretend. It was just the bottom, bottom line of knowing that I'm not in control anymore and didn't mm -hmm. want to have control anymore. I just wanted to give control away. And I think in that moment, it was also a thing of keeping to my faith, um, mm -hmm. having that as one thing, as a stability, but then also knowing that it's okay to not have that control and just let it flow from there. Um, there was no, there was nothing left to even try and stand up or, you know, it was just, I, I didn't want to do anything. Like there was, there was nothing. I didn't want to get up in the, even for long after, I didn't want to get up in the morning. It took me hours. <laughs> it took me hours to start my day some days. Like I would just not like feel like going to shower or to, because what, for what purpose, you know? Um, and then also, you know, I had a, another thing happen now in, in COVID, where at the beginning of COVID, the first weekend of hard lockdown, I lost my mom, which was my best friend, basically a life coach, um, the one person that I could speak to and, you know, come with anything, even the times when I felt like, oh, she's going to not like this. She was the person with the most grace that I ever knew. Like she had more grace for me than I had for myself many times. And then I lost her as well in COVID. And also with the thing where you can't get closure because she was in Johannesburg. I'm in Cape Town. You can't travel. You can't do a funeral. And um, sometimes I still find myself like I, 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 something happens and I find myself picking up my phone to phone her and tell her about this. And then you realize, oh, no. And knowing all of that, and I also lost my dad a few years ago, I think about four years ago. Um, and there's a, a few life events that happened. But knowing and looking at all of them, I know that it's different from, from CLR in a way that 
you know, I think I had time with my dad and my mom. And looking back, I never had regrets, you know, um, having to maybe say I should have done more because I'm a person that's really at peace with doing in the moment what you can do. And you can't always do everything right in every moment. So I'm very at peace with that. But with Sela, I felt like I started off with this dream. We as a couple started off as, with this dream of this new child. And it was going to be a boy. My first first one was a girl. So it's the pigeon pair. You know, it's like it's this perfect, perfect picture. And all of a sudden it's taken away. But what made Sela different was that we had a choice. Mm. We had to make that choice. It's mm. like putting off a machine of somebody that's suffering in a hospital and you live with that choice. And we are, we are very at peace with the choice that we made. We've seen people suffer and we've seen babies suffer. And um, we knew that he wasn't even going to make it till birth. You know, if he was lucky, he would make it, but he would suffer, suffer tremendously. I uh, was already suffering inside of my womb. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when you have to do make, make that decision to end, end that dream that you started dreaming, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then, um, but we, we, we got pregnant three months after that again. And we did a, have, we do have a boy now, mm-hmm. um, healthy boy. Mm-hmm. So, but for me, CLI was such a big mark in my life because it was the biggest, the lowest of me, but the biggest part of my life got birth out of that. So it's almost like you, the one can't replace the other. But I've said so many times that, you know, in the beginning of my career, I, I said so many times to people, I wish I discovered this earlier, you know, like I wish I started earlier. And it came to a point where I'm so thankful that it started when it started because I believe in the divine timing of everything, you know, and that that I could start from a place of brokenness because you can't, you can't ignore, you know, what, what is necessary for art to come through. You can't ignore, you can't, I can't take it for granted. Every day that I go to my studio and when I leave, when I close the door, I promise you guys, when I pl- close the door, I look, I almost, almost all, always look back once, once again to just look at what I have and know where I started and how it started and be thankful for that. I can't take it for granted. For me, with my art in that moment, there was no, as I said, there was no way to pretend or try and be something to somebody. It just started from that open, this is me, this is what I'm going through, and I'm trying to hold on to life through this. And um, I really don't want to quote it wrong now, but I actually read the other day a quote that said, um, you know, how many times have a paintbrush basically saved somebody from pulling the trigger? Yeah. And when I read that quote, it was like, sure. It just stopped me in my tracks because that's basically what it was, you know, like it's escape. And I, in my, in my studio on a daily basis, I lose myself and I find myself in that place. So it's an absolutely, absolute, you know, blessing in my life to just be able to have that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting you, really you, <laughs> thank you for sharing this. Uh, it's, it's, it's first of all wonderful to to hear how you talk about it, but it's also quite goosebumpy to to, to listen to your story. The the thing that stayed with me 
is that you described the moment where you had to make the decision that you didn't want to make. And then you talk about how you faced a moment where you didn't want to have the control and you've chosen a path where you have complete control. Yeah. <laughs> because now you're the business, you're the person, you're the art, and this is you. <laughs> and there is nobody else to actually force you to make decisions you don't want to make to some extent. Yeah. And I think it's quite interesting to see how there's two facets to one particular uh, to one coin in one particular moment. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of artists or creatives could say that they are in control, but they're not. And it comes back again yeah. to the layer of the external world to, you know, if you have still that perspective, you live with that perspective of I'll be judged and they have yeah. control yeah. to decide whether they want to buy it or not. And I think, Driki, that's the that's the powerful moment for me in your in your story and, and, and how you look into what you create and how you kind of contribute to and what you bring to life is that that moment of changing perspective and being there and talking to your best friend and saying like if they don't want it, there is maybe a reason what I can take from there as learning why, or maybe there is somebody else whom I want, you know, what I created, or I need to go on a different path there and maybe create something else. I think that that that's the piece that I believe a lot of people really might be still struggling with is that constant yeah. questioning, right? So yeah, interesting that the control can have such a different facets and different um, shades, really from being in control yeah. but not really being in control. Yeah. I think for me, um, with that, the, the thing that makes it easier, what I remind myself of is that I never wanted to sell art, mm. but it got sold. And then I take my back to that moment where I didn't want to sell and somebody wanted it so bad. And I'm still that person and I'm still that artist. And that, that type of person who wanted that first piece is out there and maybe it's not maybe I'm not connected to them tomorrow but I might be connected with them like in a few weeks from now um, and I have faith in my journey that started because that's the thing I think what what makes it different for me you get so many people that see an, a, an idea of somebody doing something and then it looks so attractive and they feel like I want to do that I think I can do that and they start pushing to do that thing and then putting a lot of energy in that and trying to create that. But then at the end of the day, it's actually a waste of energy because when you, I believe that when you push so hard for something to happen, then probably it's not the thing for you. And I think with me reminding myself of where I started and that first person that bought that painting, it's, it's coming back to that um, to know that, the fact that it started and it came to me, there's reason in that and that it will continue. Yeah. I have faith in that, yeah. you know, because it's too, it's too kind of, if I can say it's too random, you know, mm. to start like that and not for it to continue. And I just need to be faithful in, in, and diligent in what I'm doing and continue to produce and continue to show up basically. Because I think what happened in that moment at the lowest of me is somebody gave me an opportunity and with nothing in me, I just showed up. I just showed up to the opportunity and that's what I continue to do now. 
I made this list of few kind of, you know, things that stood up for me from what you were saying in this beautiful 40, I think it's about 40, 45 minutes we've been talking and in, 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 in there in, in a random order, but it was, it was a faith belief, yeah. gratitude, yeah. having a best friend or which equals self love. At least that's my yeah. tag that I'll put on it. Yeah. Showing up, showing up to the world, dedication, yeah. a commitment, and living yeah. the moment. Um, yeah. Those are that th that that's kind of my lens on it. Um, and it's yeah. been wonderful, Driki. Like your ability, you know, your openness and rawness. It's been um, rather encouraging a lot, even for myself, to be honest. Uh, and I want to thank you for that uh, very much, and 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 for giving the gift to the other people who are listening, because um, I think the hope. Maybe that's the last word that I would end up with from my side is that you gave a lot of hope to a lot of people out there. So thank you very much for that. Oh, wow. Bloody. It's, it's so, it's so beautiful to hear that. Um, and it actually leaves me with no words. Um, I think the one thing that I always, because for me, it's about purpose and with my art, it's not, I had to bring myself to a point as well where I say, if money is not a thing, what is the purpose with my art? And my purpose in life for me is to bring hope with, with my paintings and with what I do because that is what it was for me in that very first moment of complete brokenness. So this, what you said is just so, <laughs> it's it so amazing. Because it's just putting the stamp on that, you know, confirming that, yes, this is my purpose. Again, once again, you know, just by us speaking. Sorry, my voice is my voice is like Ooh, this is. I said it was going to be fire today. I just this, knew this it. Is part of it. I don't like very much part of it. No. Yeah. Thank yes. you so well, much. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much, also from my side. This so was much. wonderful. Wow. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak and to share. I really appreciate it. Join us next week to reflect and digest. You've been listening to Naked by The Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. To learn more about our work, sign up to our newsletter or visit thefuturefarm.co, where you can also apply to be a Naked guest. Naked is produced by Dan Turgel and edited by Catherine Dworkin. And remember, subscribe, follow and rate Naked to help share it with the world.